good morning again. Uh, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, I'd love to do that at some point today. If you have your Bible, uh, go ahead and take that out, or your phone, or your iPad, or even worse, an Android device. Uh, could pop open your Bible app. We're going to be in, c- continuing in Romans chapter 12 today, as we have been uh, the past couple of weeks. We've been working our way through the entire book of Romans, and it's been a journey. It's been an adventure. Romans is, is quite the, the book of the Bible. It's dense, it's deep, it's hard to understand at times, but also there's other times where it's very easy to understand and very straightforward and right on the surface. You don't have to make uh, pretty much bones about what's being said. So uh, today's, one of those, today's one of those passages for us where um, it's, it's a little bit easier for us to, to wrap our minds around what's being said, but nonetheless, it doesn't make it any less significant for us as we engage it. So um, as you're turning there, let's just pray and ask God to help us as we, as we uh, engage with his word this morning. God, we praise you and we thank you. We ask for your help this morning, God. I pray that you would help me. Give us all ears to hear your word and that you would make things clear to us um, and the things that are not clear, that they would just fall away. Uh, and so we just ask that you would lead us this morning, that your spirit would lead us into truth, and that you would do the work that we can't, God. We need our hearts to be changed and our minds to be renewed. And you tell us that um, the flesh is no help at all. It is the spirit who gives life. And so that's what we ask for this morning. And we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Awesome. Well, thanks, uh, Josiah, for reading that passage for us this morning. Uh, Romans chapter 12, we're going to be in verses 3 through 8 today. And so last week, the first couple of verses of Romans 12, uh, we talked about this idea that the first 11 chapters, Paul, he's, he's sort of unpacking these uh, in, indicatives, right? These things that, he's, these pronouncements of truth, things that God is declaring to be true about himself, about us, about the gospel, about all of those things, how those things work together. God is declaring truth through these giant sweeping indicatives, right? That we're all sinful and that we can't earn righteousness, but that righteousness is freely given in, by faith in Christ and that it's no longer uh, based on the law. All these, these big giant thematic things that are God is declaring to be true. And then we get to chapter 12 and he shifts the conversation. He doesn't necessarily change the subject per se, but he's, he's shifting over now and he's saying, okay, in light of all of this, here's what we do. These imperatives, right? It's imperative for us to, to respond in this way to what God has said to be true in the first 11 chapters. And so last week we talked about, you know, this, the shift of this conversation and he says that we are to present our bodies as living sacrifices, to make ourselves available to God as a sacrifice to Him in response to what He has done, to uh, die to ourselves, to use Jesus' language, right? To die to ourselves so that we can truly live in Christ. And this is significant, right? But He also says it's not just the what that we are doing, which is really, really important, but it's also why. Why are we doing this? What is our motivation for doing this? He says it's just as important to remember to reflect back on not 
the fear of God, the fear of his wrath, the fear of his condemnation. He says we don't look back. We don't do these things in view of God's wrath or condemnation. We do them in view of his mercy. We do it in view of his grace toward us. In view of, of what he has already said and already done and already established. And we live and do what we do in light of that, not for those things. And there's a significant shift in our minds. We have to, we have to shift our mind around to, to reject those old ways of thinking, right? To reject the pattern of the world, to not be conformed into the pattern of the world, he says, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind that the Spirit is continually doing in those who are in Christ. So there's this shift, this big, this big turnaround, and it all happens in view of God's mercy. We are, we are no longer conformed to the world, but we are people who are being transformed by the Spirit. And so it's, it's a big deal. And so he's saying, okay, it, the, when this begins to happen in us, this transformation happens in God's people by the renewing of our minds. It, it starts to change the way that we think. Starts to change the way that we think about ourselves. Starts to change the way that we think about the, the world around us, the systems of the world, the, the, the ways of thinking, the patterns of thought, the ways of engagement with other people. It starts to change all of those things. We become reoriented in those ways. Reoriented to the, to the spirit and oriented away from our flesh. And this is huge. And so it, it changes the way that we think. And then as we move our way into chapter at verse 3 of chapter 12, he starts talking about one of the primary ways that we begin to change our thinking is in how we think about ourselves. That's what he says in, ver in verse 3. Look what he says. Chapter 12, verse 3 says, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now he's sort of, he's given us this indication here that he's speaking authoritatively, right? He's saying, by this grace that was given to me. Grace comes from God. And so he's saying, this is coming from God to me by his grace. And he's telling me to tell you <laughs> These things. This is, this is him sort of speaking authoritatively in his apostolic authority, right? I'm saying this by God's grace and his authority. These instructions are coming from me, him to me to you. And he says, also, notice what he says next. And he's not leaving anyone out, right? He says, I say this to everyone among you. This is significant. I'm saying it to everyone among you. There isn't. He's not just talking to some select group within the church. It's not some highly functioning, highly important group of people. Not just people who've been Christians for a long time. Not just people who come uh, from a certain background or have a certain education level or people who are married or people who are single or people who have a certain socioeconomic status. He's not talking to any particular segment of the church he's saying I'm, I'm saying this to everyone in the church all at once no matter where you come from no matter what your background is you're lumped in bringing us he's sweeping everybody into this conversation everyone's included he says that everyone that belongs to jesus should not think of themselves 
more highly than they ought to think. Shouldn't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. This is an interesting thing that he says here. And we remember, remember our motivation, right? We're, we're, we're viewing this all through the lens of God's mercy. All through the lens of God's grace to his people. So what that tells us then is that everybody who's hearing this is on equal footing. We all come to Christ with equal need of his grace. And so we, we don't, nobody has a head start. Nobody has a leg up. Nobody has an advantage, so to speak. It's, we're all desperately in need of God's grace. But in Christ, we have all equally received that grace. That's what he's saying. We shouldn't, we shouldn't think of ourselves disproportionately to where we are. Let's not get, let's not get carried away. There's, there's no rankings here. There's no, there's no segments. There's no classes. There's, there's, it's, it's all... We all have to, have to have the right perspective of ourselves. And this is what, this is what he's talking about. Our minds begin to, to change, the way that we think about ourselves. Because isn't that how we typically think? That's how, that's how society typically sort of divides people up, right? Okay, we, we divide people up by, by race or by class or by gender or by rich or poor or whatever the case may be. See, that's, that's, that's being conformed to the ways of the world. We don't think in those ways anymore. We think in the way of the Spirit. And so we don't think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. None of us got to where we are in the kingdom by ourselves. None of us got in by any of our own merit. There isn't a, a kingdom of heaven draft, right? Where, where everybody's sort of lined up. We have like a kingdom of heaven combine where everybody goes out and runs the 40. We stack chairs. We see how many chairs we can carry. How fast can you mow the lawn? Right? This is not, this is not what's happening, right? There's no, there's no kingdom of heaven draft where everybody gets a score and a grade and then God looks out and he says, okay, who do I want on my team? Hmm. Who are the best among us? Ooh, Kevin Heller. That guy, he's on like five serving teams a day. That's my number one pick, right? It's not how it works. We embrace the reality of where we are and how we got here. This is what he's telling us to do. We, we embrace it. We lean into it. Basically, he's saying that God invites us to see ourselves as he sees us. This is what he's talking about. He, God invites us to see ourselves the way that God sees us. It's not just, he's not just saying, don't be arrogant. It's in there. Don't be conceited. Don't, don't think of yourself in a puffed up way. Sure, that's all in there. But what he's, what he's really actually telling us is to say, look at yourself and see yourself the way that God sees you. If all of this is from God and God has done all of this work to you, then this is God saying, this is who you are. I've made you to be this way. I've brought you in. And now, this is who you are. He's saying, to think about yourselves, he uses the term, with sober judgment. We should think about ourselves with sober judgment. That means we don't think too highly of ourselves. 
But it also means that we don't think too lowly of ourselves, right? It's just as important. We don't, we don't, just, we don't just toss ourselves aside and say, ah, well, I'm just a worm in the king, you know, like, no, this is, this is God telling us who we are. And God is bestowing to us our identities, saying, this is your, your mind now. And I brought you in, not of your own doing, so don't think more highly of yourself than you ought to think, but you should think rightly of yourself. Think with sober judgment about yourself. And some of us are more prone to the latter, right? Some of us are more prone to think more too lowly of ourselves than too highly of ourselves at times. We swing too far in the, the wrong direction. We're not told to hate ourselves. God doesn't hate us. Why should we hate ourselves? We're told that we're loved immensely and deeply by Him. Why would we hate something that God loves, including ourselves? doesn't make sense. We are made in God's image. He loves us. He's adopted us in Christ into His family. And he's, he's gifted us, which we'll talk about. He's gifted us now to be a part of this family. And so we reject the world's standards for assessing ourselves. We have to. We have to reject the world's standards for self-assessment. This is huge. This is huge in the life of the believer. To reject the way that the world says this is what gives you value. Reject it. And we embrace what God says to be true about us. We embrace God's view of us. That we are sinners and we are saved by grace. And we are fiercely loved and cared for by our Heavenly Father. Fiercely. Passionately loved. Cared about. And not just a distant, kind of far away love. Like a really close, personal love. Like he, he sees us and his, his countenance toward us is, is kind and it's gentle. He doesn't, he doesn't get exasperated with us in our weakness. He doesn't just constantly shake in his head like, geez, again? No, he says that he's, he's simp- Christ sympathizes with us in our weakness. He understands our weakness significant we have to think about ourselves correctly and and the the correct way to think about ourselves is the way that god thinks about us as after he's rescued us and brought us into his family so when when god does this adopting and he does this rescuing and he does this sort of identity changing in us says that he gifts us right He brings us in and He gifts us to be a part of His family. He's given us gifts according to the measure of faith that He assigns, is what it says. That's that's kind of a weird thing to say. It seems like a weird, like, wait, hold on. When we hear that in our sort of Western American sensibilities, we go, isn't everything supposed to be fair and equal here? Hold on. Supposed to be equal. Just ask your kids, right? If you get a sliver of more of dessert than me, it's not fair. And what I always say is like, what you actually mean is equal. It's not equal. There's a big difference between fair and equal. That's a different conversation. 
Because this is what it says, that the measure, this word measure here, as he's talking about this measure of faith, it seems to be talking about a quantity of faith. It seems to be saying, and some people would debate this, but he seems to be saying that God gives more faith to some than others. Different measures of faith. (gasps) Gasp. Now, all faith comes from God. We believe this. It's all a gift from Him. And all the faith that comes from God is a sufficient faith to save us. Believe this. Even the faith, the Bible uses like the terminology of a mustard seed, right? The, the faith the size of a mustard seed. It gives, the Bible's constantly giving like size differentials to faith. It's talking about growing in our faith, the faith the size of a mustard seed, all these times, all these places. So there's, there's got to be some sort of differential here that it's talking about. Seems to be saying that some are given more than others, and that's okay. God's not holding that against us. He's the one who's assigning it. Just as we need. This doesn't mean that it's a license for us to just sin and say, well, I wasn't given as much faith as John Hansel, so I just was able to do what I want. Maybe if God wanted me to not sin, He would give me more faith. That's a bad sign. What He's saying is it's a reminder for us to be content with what God has given us and where God has us. It's all from Him, and He knows what is good for us. He knows what we need. He knows the measure of faith that we need. And He's given us according to His wisdom. He's smart. Be content with what He's given us. Schreiner says it like this. Don't try to live on the basis of someone else's faith. Don't try to live on the basis of someone else's faith. Not everyone is called to be a missionary overseas. Not everyone is called to be a host family for MVM. Not everyone is called to to sing in the worship band. That one's usually a little easier to figure out. (laughs) And he's going to explain more of this. There There aren't better and worse gifts. This is the point. There's not a better gift and a worse gift. We can't think of this quantity as like, oh, well, that, they have it better than me. No, God has given you exactly what you need. He knows what you need, and He's given you what you need for where you are and who you are. And it's not accidental. And he hasn't forgotten. And he hasn't, he hasn't run out. He's not, he's not trying to ration the faith. They're, just, they're not better or worse. They're just different. And different is good. This is what we see here. Different is good. We need different. We need different. All of it is important and it's vital. What God has given you is important and it's vital. Whatever it is, it's important and it's vital. And the picture that he uses to help us understand this is a body, right? He uses this picture of a body, something that we can very easily understand. Oh, I understand how a body works pretty much, at least the the concept of it. Look at verse 4. For as in one body, 
we have many members. And the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. And individually, members of one another. We understand this picture. We understand a body. We can look around and see all of these bodies in this room. We understand. It's simple and it's helpful. We all under, we understand how our bodies work together. I'm able to speak right now and do what I'm doing because all these parts of my body are working at the same time. Just now, it was like all my legs, my arms, my head, my voice, my tongue, my diaphragm, my jaw muscles, my all of it, right? I'm not, all of it's working together. My brain, my heart is beating, my lungs are breathing, my pancreas is doing whatever it does. My appendix is just sitting there doing nothing, apparently. Nobody knows what that does. But it's all working together, right? We see how this is easy for us to grasp. Okay, I need all of those things. If I didn't have my arms, I probably wouldn't be able to preach. We understand this picture. And we see this picture used multiple times in the New Testament. Most notably, we see it in 1 Corinthians 12, right? If you want to put your finger in 1 Corinthians 12, we're going to reference that in a second. This picture helps us to see the beauty and the diversity. The beauty and the diversity. The beauty and the diversity and the beauty in the diversity of the body of Christ. There's beauty in diversity. This is, it's, it has to have diversity to be beautiful has to be different to be the same, to be one. If it, it, yeah, we'll get to it. Trying not to get ahead of myself here. We all have different gifts, and those gifts are for the benefit of the body. The body of Christ has sort of this symbiosis going on, right? Where it all works together. All the parts work for the good of the whole. To make the body work as it's intended to work. And the church needs us, and we need the church. You need the church, and the church needs you. I need you, and you need me, and we need everyone else. That's how it's supposed to be. It's not a small thing. It's not a light thing. This is a, this is a significant thing. This is a monumental thing. This is part of the reason why we believe so strongly in, in our missional communities. This is, this is what we're striving for. This is what we're striving to put intention to in our, in our body life. We believe that we need each other. And we believe that it's really good for us to be living our Christian lives with people who are not exactly like us. Not the same age, not the same gender, not the same socioeconomic or education, different backgrounds. It's good for us to have diversity in, that way, in those ways. It's better for us. There's places for the women to go and do something. There's places for the men to go and do something and the, and the kids and the college people. There's space for that. But if that's all that we have, 
We're not enjoying the beauty of the diversity of the family of God. Hands work together sometimes. And that's good for hands to work together. But the hand needs the arm, and the arm needs the shoulder, and the shoulder bone's connected to the whatever. I don't know how the song goes. But you get it. We need the church, and the church needs us. So whatever that is, the diversity of the gifting, of age, of life experience, socioeconomic status, married, single, it's all valuable and vital to the life of the church. In 1 Corinthians 12, verse 18, Paul says, But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as He chose. How does that sentence factor into our decision about where we go to church? How we engage with our church. Does that factor in at all? I feel like it doesn't very often. I feel like that sentence is probably not always on the forefront of my mind. It should be. Look what he just said. God is describing, God is using the word body to mean the church. And the church always and forever works its way down into local expressions of church like this one. God arranged the members of the body, each one of them as He chose. That means that you are not here by accident. You're not even here because of you. That's what it says. You're not, you're not a part of this church or any other church on your own volition and totally of your own accord. If we believe this sentence. God chose to arrange for you to be here. That seems pretty significant to me. God chose for me to be here. You may think that's less significant. <laughs> Probably do. Then, let's look at verse 5, back to, to 12. Romans 12. He says, so we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members one of another. We aren't just members of this church, like this organization, generically. You're not just a member of this 501c3 or whatever we are. It's, that's not what, what it is. It's not, this is not what it's talking about. We're not just simply loosely affiliated under the umbrella of this organization. It's not like Costco. Who's a member? You remember? I'm a member of Costco, right? Costco fans in the building. But you understand, right? You don't go to Costco thinking about any of the other members of Costco. You're there for what you need. You're there for you. You're there for your giant block of cheese and your 80 rolls of toilet paper and your free samples. That's right. I don't show up to Costco like, all right, guys, what do we need to do? 
How can I help today? What needs done? What do we need? No. I'm not doing that at all when I go to Costco. And you shouldn't either. You see, you see the difference, right? You're, we're, I'm a member of Costco, but I'm not a member with you at Costco. I'm just a member of this organization so that I can buy large quantities of mayo. But this is, this is saying something different. This is saying that not only are we members of the church, we're members one of another. There's investment into the other people of the organization, so to speak. There's, there's, there's a joining there. That means that, that my good rises and falls based upon you in some way. And yours does based upon me in some way and then the rest of us. We're not just individually showing up to a place. It's not just like a AAA membership or a Costco membership. It's different. It's a more significant thing. We are members together in Christ and we are members one of another. And we are joined with each other like parts of a body. That's what he says. And every part is important. And every gift that's given to every part is important. Everyone has a gift. Everyone is gifted. There's nobody that gets skipped over. You have to believe that. When you have the Spirit, you have something. And what you have is vitally important. I'll prove it to you. 1 Corinthians 12. Let's read some of it together. It really helps us to see the importance of this. We're going to start in verse 19. It says, if all were a single member, he's, he's sort of talking about the exact same thing here. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need for you. Nor, again, the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, this is where he really flips it over on his head. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem, notice that word seem, the parts of the body that seem, that's the worldly way of thinking, right? This is what he's talking about. He's saying it seems that way, but it's not actually true. The parts of the body that seem to be weaker are actually indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty. You can imagine what he's talking about there. Which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body. There's that idea again. God composing the body. Giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. And in this last sentence, 26 here, if one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. That's pretty clear. 
it's hard to make it more clear, <laughs> to be honest. We're not just part of a social club. Or a members club. Or a jelly of the month club. Or any other kind of club. Being a part of God's family is real and it's meaningful. Every part of the body of Christ is significant. No matter how old you are or how young you are, whether you're married or single or divorced, separated, whatever, whether you're rich or you're poor or in between, Educated, uneducated. None of those stipulations are put on any of this. We must rightly see ourselves as God sees us. This is how we best flourish in the family of God. This is how we flourish and this is how the family of God flourishes. And we can't despise the gifts of others and we can't downplay our own. Don't despise somebody else's gift and don't downplay the gift that God has given you. We can't, can't do it or the body will not function the way that it's intended to function. And so how do we know? How do we begin to understand what our gifts are? How do we begin to identify what these things are? Is there some course that we take is there some owl that flies in with a letter or something that tells us what gifts we have? I think that's right. Maybe my Harry Potter family can confirm. <laughs> How do we know? Well, we, we know by being involved in the body. That's how we know. We get involved with the body. We don't, we don't go off somewhere and try to figure out what our gifts are and then so we can take those to the body. We, we show up to the body and we say, okay, I'm here. And then we just jump in and we start doing stuff and we get involved and we learn and we, we try stuff and we get experience and we say, well, I'm not very good at that. Oh, I'm actually pretty interested and pretty good at that. Oh, okay, I can see like, that's how it happens. And our gifts start to become more and more clear. It's a process and it may take time. But there's, there's a beauty in it because, because those around us can then help us. They can begin to confirm or deny they can say, yeah, I think that's something that you're gifted in. You should probably pursue that. They can go, I don't think you're gifted in that. You probably shouldn't pursue that. I think you may be just interested in that. You're not necessarily gifted in it. That happens. And that's okay. Paul says here in verse 6, back to Romans 12. having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us. Let us use them. <laughs> I told you, this isn't really like a hard passage for us to understand. We don't have to do like a lot of deep theological digging here. Like everyone has different gifts. God gives them according to what he sees is best. Use them. <laughs> That's it. Go do it. And, and just try stuff until you figure it out. That's okay. The Spirit will help you. 
You may have inclinations already of what those giftings are. Great. Lean into them. Ask people around you. Do you see me gifted in this way? They might go, no. <laughs> but they might really go, yeah. Well, I was meaning, meaning to tell you that. I think you actually might be really good at this or you might be really gifted in this. It may be something that you don't even expect. What he's saying here is focus on the gifts that you have and use them. Focus on the gifts that you have and use them. And try to discover them if you don't know yet. The body needs you to use the gifts that God has given you. And you need the gifts of those around you. And he starts to give us some examples of this. This isn't an exhaustive list of all the gifts in the church. So don't read this list and go, well, I don't have any of those, so that means I must not have gotten the memo. There's a lot more. He's just given us a few here to give us some examples. He's, and it's, it's helpful for us to list these examples, for him to list these examples together, I think. He puts all these things in the same pile and talks about them equally. He says, in, uh, in pro if prophecy in proportion to our faith. Now, this is a tricky one. Right out of the gate. We don't have a lot of time to get deep into the woods on this. But just for some clarity, I had a conversation with somebody last week about this. He's not referring to like this idea of capital P prophets like we saw in the Old Testament. That's a different thing. This is likely, this is likely referring to people who are able to speak helpful and edifying things to others in the body that line up with God's word. And are never to be perceived as additional to God's word. So, in other words, be leery of someone today who identifies themselves as a prophet. Just be careful. If somebody says, I'm a prophet. Okay. Maybe. Just be careful. That doesn't mean... That God doesn't use the gift of prophecy. We believe that He does. He can use it as He sees fit. But we don't see God stamping people and saying, this is my prophet. Some of us name our kids after them. But we think that's, that office has gone away. People may, may still prophesy in certain ways, and God can bring that about as He sees fit. We believe that that happens. So just to be clear on that. So if it's prophecy, prophesy in proportion to our faith. In service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. That means like giving. People who are, have money and they can give it away. The one who leads, with zeal. If you're leading something, care about it. Lead it well. Try your best. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. Not with begrudgingness. Like, oh, I guess I'll help these people out. No. Be, be cheerful in our giving, right? So look at this list that he just gave us. Prophecy, service, teaching, exhortation, resource, contribution, leadership, acts of mercy, all listed together. 
sometimes it's easy for us to take some of those and go, well, those are the really important ones. Like preaching and teaching. Those are very important things. Like acts of service, those are like secondary things. It's not what he's saying. At all. It's the opposite of that, in fact. They're both valuable and both good and both to be both are vital to the life of the church. Absolutely vital. All of these things are vital and many, many more things. Gift of administration is listed. I'm thankful that I don't have that one, but I know people who do. Right? It's huge. They're all listed together and there's not a ranking system. And, and, and when we see people it can be easy for us to think, like, oh, we see somebody who's, who's serious about Jesus, and they love the Lord. Maybe it's a young person. And we think, oh, well, if this person is serious about Jesus, then we must, we must sort of shuffle them along towards these particular things that we may think indicate somebody who's very serious about the Lord. Maybe, but maybe not. Maybe somebody who's very serious about the Lord, who's just really good at like giving people money in acts of service or administration or or hospitality there's lots of there's there's so many things that very serious people in the lord have been gifted to do we can't get it we can't get it mixed up in our mind what he's what he's talking about here are examples of people who are leaning into the gifts that god has given them wherever god has put them Remember the, the exhortation at the beginning, right? We, we identify our gifts, but we don't think more highly of ourselves than we ought to think in our gifting. That means gifting doesn't have to come with it a title or a position. It doesn't make it any less significant. Titles, positions, leadership roles, those things are, are fine and good. But those, those, don't, those aren't the marker of the high-level gifts. Those are just markers of certain gifts that are all in the same pile as the, all the other gifts. And because, just because you don't have one of those gifts doesn't mean that your role and value to the church is any less. We can't, we can't miss this. So whatever your gift is, lean into it. Lean in. And if, you don't sh- if you're not sure yet, start asking people. Start, start trying stuff. Get downstairs and serve the kids. Start, get with Kevin to, to, to grab a broom. Go pick up some donuts. Go welcome people out front. Go try to jump in the sound booth. Like there's, there's lots of ways. There's, there's MVM. There's, there's My Village Ministries. There's uh, Village Connections. There's all, I mean, there's lots of places organizationally as a church, but even within your own MC. Maybe you can look within your own MC and, and identify what needs to be done. What, maybe, I'm, maybe I'm good at planning out meals. Maybe I'm good at hospitality and I like having people over to my house. Maybe I am a good teacher and I, can, I have opportunities to teach my MC. Maybe I can help facilitate the kids at our MC. Maybe I can, right, whatever it is. Maybe I have resources that I could contribute to buy the food for our, I don't, whatever. Look, 
look for those things. Lean into what you have. Lean into what God has given you. Lean into it. And don't, dis- don't downplay what you have and don't despise the things that God has given to others. It's all vitally important. So what will you lean into? What is God calling you to lean into? Do you know? Maybe you have an idea. Maybe you need to start talking to people around you that know you well. Maybe you just need to start trying stuff. Maybe it's pretty clear, but you don't like it, and so you wish it was something else, so you're just not doing anything. You're kind of bitter towards God because He gave you what you think is a kind of a crummy gift. Or you thought it was going to be one thing, and it ended up being something else, and you're just really disappointed by it. Maybe it feels too big for you. Maybe you feel like you're not equipped for it or ready for it. Maybe like Moses felt. when God called him to go to Pharaoh. And he's like, that's not me. What are you talking about? I imagine Paul probably felt the same way. When Jesus showed up to him, he's like, you're going to be on my team now. What you've actually been doing is persecuting me. And Paul had to think like, Really? Me? You want me to be kind of like the, the, the guy, the spokesperson? I was just killing all these people. Yeah, you. Lean in. Where are you going to lean in? What is God calling you to lean into? What giftings has he given you? Ask him. Ask those around you. He'll show you. Let's pray. God, thank you. Thank you again for your word. Thank you again for being so kind to us. We thank you that you're generous to us. We thank you that you give good gifts and that every good and perfect gift comes from you. That's what you tell us. So help us to believe that, God. And help us to lean into what you have given us. To throw ourselves as living sacrifices before you with what you have already given us to make ourselves available to you. To not think too highly of ourselves, but not to think too lowly of ourselves, but to think of ourselves as you think of us. Give us grace. Give us help. Thank you that you've given us one another. And we praise you, God, in Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to sing a couple of songs. Um, And as we're doing that, we're going to take communion together. Um, If you are with us and you uh, call Jesus your King and your Savior, uh, and we we invite you to take communion with us. If that's not you today, we ask that you would uh, just refrain, stay in your seat. We're going to play two songs. So we'll say during the first song, why don't we have this half of the room go back to the back, and there will be people in the back with communion trays uh, and there'll be little small groups back there and they'll actually give you the communion elements and then you'll take it together in that small group and they'll sort of lead you through that process so during the first song this half will go and then during the second song this half will go Uh, let me pray for our time of communion father we thank you for jesus (laughs) we thank you for his sacrifice for us his body broken his blood shed to redeem us, to absorb the wrath that we had earned, to give us the righteousness that He had earned. And so we praise You for it and we celebrate it today. And God, give us open 
hearts to you. You tell us, God, to examine ourselves as we take communion. So show us, God. Expose our sin and help us run to you in your grace and not away from you in our shame. Because you have taken the shame from us. You have taken the condemnation and we embrace you in the gospel this morning. And we celebrate Jesus' death for us. In his name we pray. Amen.